and all those that are in need. And we say together as a community, Amen. It's my honor to invite Rabbi Mintz to teach us some words of Torah. Shabbat Shalom. Many, 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 many years ago, I decided to become a rabbi. And I was nine or 10 years old. And I made up my mind at that point that that's what I wanted to be as a little girl. And throughout the rest of my life, there was this balance between knowing I wanted to become a rabbi and the fact that my grandfather, who I was named after, his name was Sidney Mintz, he died three months before I was born, so I became Sidney Mintz. He was an attorney. And then my father followed in his footsteps, and he became an attorney. So when it became time for me to apply to rabbinical school about 23 years ago, I told my family, the time is ripe. I'm going to take off and become a rabbi. And my father said, but what about being a lawyer? At the same moment. And he said, I I'm serious. Of all of, of the kids in this legal dynasty, I said, when, when did two generations become a dynasty? And uh, he said, I really encourage you to apply to law school at the same time you're applying to rabbinical school. And it's my dad. And he lost his father, who was an attorney. And he believed that I should become an attorney, um, even though he knew I was going to become a rabbi. So I actually, at the same time that I was applying to rabbinical school, took the LSAT and applied to law school. It was just something I did because I loved my dad. I knew I wasn't going to law school. But therein was a tension between the law and what I saw as the life of a rabbi, which encompassed so much of the spiritual world, while the law, and this is, you know, don't take offense if you're an attorney, had so much to do with the material world and law. So that's why when I find myself looking at Mishpatim, at Parshat Mishpatim this week, I think about the balance that we all have challenges about in our lives, the balance between the material, the physical, the world of law, and the spiritual, the ineffable, the, the transcendent world that we all yearn for, and why I believe we come here on Shabbat. The parsha opens with the words, and these are the mishpatim which you shall set before them, using the word lifnehem. And the Hasidic master, Rabbi Shnor Zalman of Liadi, said that the word before them actually has the meaning of the words have to penetrate to their innermost self or their innermost soul. And in that way, taking the laws and taking your soul and joining them together. And what I think is so phenomenal about this week's portion is it's almost like a spiritual sandwich of the law, meaning that we have the giving of the law on Mount Sinai in last week's Parsha in Yitro. And then we have at the end of Mishpatim this incredible scene where Moses and the 70 elders ascend on this sapphire pavement like the very blue of the sky that was so pure that it looks like they were walking up in the sky, this sapphire. It reminds me of like the yellow brick road. Remember that? This was like the sapphire brick road up to Mount Sinai. So I want you to take a moment because I'm going to give you what the passages are um, on either side of the law. So this is what it says. You can close your, close your eyes and imagine you were back there because we were all standing at Mount Sinai at some point. And this is what it says in Exodus 19. It's a very dramatic passage because the giving of the law was very dramatic. And it came to pass on the third day when it was morning, and there was thunder and lightning and a thick cloud upon the mount, and the voice of a horn exceedingly loud, and all the people that were in the camp trembled. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet God. 
They stood at the part of the mountain and Mount Sinai was completely surrounded with smoke because God descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked greatly and when the voice of the horn waxed louder and louder, Moses finally spoke and God answered him in a voice. If you wanna stay at Mount Sinai, you can keep your eyes closed, but you can open them now. It was, it was who here has been through an earthquake? Okay. That's what they were talking about, that the earth actually shook as God descended and God's voice penetrated the people. And just after that, you think these Ten Commandments were given to the people. What is going to come next? Is it going to be some incredible, like, burning man kind of experience in the desert where it's incredibly spiritual? No. It's the mishpatim. It's the laws that are given. And in fact, some of the most um, famous of the mishpatim are in this section. There's three different ways of looking at um, the mitzvot. The mishpatim, the edot, and the chukim are the three different sections. And I'll, I'll give you just a few of the, the selections from this week's laws. The first one, which I also think is um, interesting today, you shall not tolerate a sorceress. Do you know that was in the Torah? Do not tolerate a sorceress. You shall not wrong a stranger or oppress him, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. How many other times does this occur in the text? 38 times. The memory of us being slaves in Egypt happens more than any other mitzvah in the text. And then the commandment for the sabbatical year, which is this year. Six years you shall sow your land and gather its yield, but in the seventh you shall let it rest and lie fallow. Let the needy among your people eat of it, and what they leave, let the wild beasts eat. And so this year, the sabbatical year, which is 5775, it's just like the Sabbath. The Sabbath that we need for ourselves is the same thing that the Sabbath that the earth needs. It also says something very famous, you shall not cook a kid in its mother's milk, and, and then nothing there about um, a turkey and cheese sandwich. <laughs> so it only said do not cook a kid in its mother's milk, and I had never seen a chicken lactate before, and so I, of course, went, wanted to find out why is it that you're not allowed to actually eat fowl and dairy together. And it wasn't until Talmudic times, Rabbi Akiva said that because of the opportunity that somebody might have to confuse fowl and beef, they said that it was verboten to mix fowl and beef. Um, and then uh, also um, the idea of capital punishment comes into this parsha where it talks about when a men, um, two men fight and one pushes a pregnant woman and a miscarriage results and no other damage ensues, the one responsible shall be fined according to the woman's husband that may exact from him, the payment shall be based on reckoning. What that means is that if a woman gets hurt during a fight and she miscarriages, and there's a miscarriage, there is um, not a life that has been lost. Which is the reason that in liberal Judaism, we give um, the right to choose. And it then says, if any other damage ensues, the penalty shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. So, the rabbis asked, since Judaism does not support the death penalty, since Judaism does not support capital punishment, how could it say a life for a life? And the um, Mishnah says, a Sanhedrin that put a man to death once in seven years is called destructive. Rabbi Eliezer said, even once in 70 years, that would be a destructive Sanhedrin. And Rabbi Akiba and Rabbi Tarfon said, had we been in the Sanhedrin, none would have ever been put to death 
and they said they would, have been mul- they would have multiplied the shedders of blood in Israel if we ever took somebody's life for shedding someone's blood. And so that is the interpretation of why we do not support capital punishment, even though in the Torah it says a life for a life. So this is just four or five of the laws of the Mishpatim that we find in this Parsha. And at the end of Mishpatim, it's kind of like the end of law school, there's this elevated, incredibly transcendent moment. So I'm going to ask you to think past Mount Sinai, Take a moment and close your eyes. And after all of these laws are given in the middle of the desert to the people, this is what it says. Moses took half of the blood from the offering, put it in basins, and half of the blood he dashed against the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that God God has said, we will do and obey. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, behold, the blood of the covenant. Then Moses went up with Aaron, Nadav, and Avihu, the 70 elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and there was under his feet a paved work of sapphire stone, and the like of it was the very heaven for clearness. And upon all the nobles of the children, the God of Israel did not lay his hand, and they beheld, they saw God, and they ate and they drank. And Moses went up to the mountain, and the cloud covered the mountain, and the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And the seventh day, God called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud, and the appearance of the glory of God was like a devouring fire at the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And Moses Moses entered into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain, and Moses was in the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. You can open your eyes. A lot of spiritual stuff seemed to happen at Mount Sinai, and a lot of the legal stuff was in the hands of the people. And what we, what we read between these two is something that goes back because um, we learn earlier that if you see God, what will happen to you? Right? You will die. God says, you cannot see me and live. And in this passage on Mount Sinai, not just Moses, but Aaron, Nadav, Avihu, and all of the 70 elders see God. So if you cannot see God and live, but at this moment of revelation, all of them saw God, I would say that the most interesting commentary on that is it wasn't with their eyes. They didn't see God with their eyes at Mount Sinai. What did they see God with? Their souls, their hearts. Maybe they heard the voice, but they didn't actually physically see God. And when I think about the difference between having a spiritual or an emotional experience versus a material or the physical world, Um, I think about the fact that we are all material beings, we're all physical beings, and we have to live in the material world. And we have to deal with things, and we have to deal with money, and then we start to relate to those things sometimes like they are something to be in relationship with. But on Shabbat, we're supposed to let go of all of that, and we're supposed to focus on our inner lives, on the transcendent place, almost as if we have the opportunity to go back to Mount Sinai every single Shabbat and have some stillness. This world is a bustling place. It's full of energy and movement and cycles and time, and that other world is stillness, is not talking, is quiet, is sometimes silent. And that's where you can find that spirit. And if you want to call it God, you can find God in the silence. Now take it from somebody who, um, as a kid, my family used to say, Sydney thinks if she stops talking, she might stop breathing. (laughs) So I'm not a great meditator at heart but I try to have stillness inside of me. So I want everybody to think about Shabbat, this Shabbat for you, somewhat like a womb. So think about what I said about Micha Mocha, 
And now close your eyes for one last moment with me. And this is not about Mount Sinai, but this is about the Shabbat as the womb. Each of us begins in stillness, in water floating inside your own original mikvah. Think about that primordial water and imagine the color blue. Because we wear blue tzitzit, there's the blue on our talit, the blue of the Israeli flag. The road to Sinai is paved in sapphire. The sky above us and the ocean surrounding us. Stay with the color blue inside of you, the calm, the silence, the stillness that you don't get to visit any other day of the week except when you're here inside yourself in Shabbat and take whatever you see, whatever that color blue is inside your mind, that calmness, that stillness into the rest of the week. Shabbat Shalom. So before we move on, um, I wanted to invite a special surprise guest whose name is Levi up onto the Bima. Um, Terry Krause always is very mindful and she said, there's an eight day old baby um, who just happened to walk in. Well, he didn't walk in himself, his parents and his grandparents brought him. So I'd like to invite him and his parents and grandparents up to the Bima and we're gonna give him just a very quick blessing and welcome because how often does somebody have the bravery to bring their eight day old baby out into this world? So this is Levi Dov Ben Yoel Moshe and Vilea. Um, and so bring him close over here. Um, grandparents, come over here. Very close. Come over here, all the grandparents. So we say this beautiful blessing that was given to the children of Israel from Aaron, the high priest. And then we welcome him into the Jewish community today on his eighth day of life. May God bless you and keep you all safe and sound. May the presence of God shine upon your beautiful punams and this new beautiful punam and be sweet to you. May God's presence continue to uplift you, to give you a lifetime together of wholeness, of happiness, and of health. And we say it together, Amen. 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 <laughs> and Cantor Eddie is going to sing something for you. This is actually something I wrote for um, Rabbi Mintz's 